Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Gateway, brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business, where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I'm joined with my incredible co-host, Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello, Biagio. Ciao a tutti. <laughs> you good? <laughs> now, we're happy to have you, Biagio, as always. But today's episode, uh, Technology, Design, and Humanity, will focus and feature the dynamic and creative Antonio Acevedo, a UX designer for Group O, a single source solutions provider. Antonio focuses on offering software platforms that allow clients to offer their customers rewards. Antonio holds a computer design degree from that Illinois University towards the West, which we don't really have to define which one that is. It's fine. We'll all figure it out. Um, and brings nearly two decades of experience designing user interfaces from watches, kiosks, mobile apps, tablet apps, and, and websites. So Antonio, welcome to the Gateway. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're, we're really excited about this stuff, Antonio. So um, I, I want to jump right in, as always, and, and and starts with, with kind of defining a, a, a user interface, user experience. I, I'm hearing a lot of the, the UX jargon kind of going around. Can, can you just give us a, a kind of general idea of where you're coming from, what your focus is, what you're doing? Sure. Um, <clears throat> most companies hire developers to uh, design software interfaces, which makes total sense, right? They can get it done. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a little gap in that, right? They were able to offer people a website, um, a way to get from point A to point B, uh, whether they were purchasing something or signing up for something. But UX design kind of came out of um, the woodwork uh, to help that uh, fill those gaps that were in there, right? Like, so um, there were buttons in the wrong place. Uh, there was, wasn't the right enough contrast. Um, people were struggling to get from point A to point B. Um, their numbers were down, right? So somebody had to come in and scientifically figure out how to map out that journey, right? So uh, there's two kinds of uh, um, things in UX. There's UI and there's um, user experience, right? So uh, user design or interface design uh, are people who make websites look pretty. Uh, experience design is different in that um, we actually do the research uh, so that we can figure out what the uh, user's uh, motives are, what their goals are, uh, the things that they're experiencing that are both a blessing and a curse, right? What are the errors standing in their way? Um, and then we do our best to uh, mimic that. And then we retest it over and we do that process over and over and over again. Um, so that's the, the big difference between uh, UI and UX. Um, but that was a void. Uh, that was something that was able to fill the void uh, when it was just developers writing code. Interesting. Okay. So then now when you say you tested and all that stuff, are you actually rolling it out to your customers and trying it on different websites? Or is that just internal testing? You're like, you know, I, I hear Google, I hear Facebook saying, hey, we're, we're trying A-B testing for a bunch of different things here. You, you may be a user and you see something and then it's gone. How are you doing that testing when you're potentially trying something? So there's a lot of different kinds of testing. At the bottom, there's what's called guerrilla testing. That's if I go to the park and I set up a table and I ask people to stop and answer me questions about how they would buy something online. <laughs> okay, cool. uh, Then there's the next step, right? Where you yeah. like find people uh, either through a service or on your own uh, and you ask them how they went through the process of purchasing something or signing up for something all the way to where you would maybe um, 
use a third-party service to find vetted users uh, who fit exactly your niche, um, who have do you know the have the kind of clients that you service, uh, and you you would um, spend the time. You would pay for that third-party service uh, a fee per user, and then you would reward that customer with something, right? Something motivational that would make them not only care about getting started, but also follow through on the on the feedback. Uh, then you would go back and you would synthesize that data uh, and then present it um, to any stakeholders or whatever. Uh, you would propose what kind of work would need to be done. Um, they would either approve it or approve it with changes. Um, and then you would implement that, those changes with developers. Wow. Wow. So I mean, I, yeah, I'll jump into this because I, I think uh, you are the perfect guest for this you know, podcast because you are bridging you know, two worlds. You bring it, bridging the worlds of software developers that per se just care about you know, making something work to uh, the people that are going to use that software. So make it usable and easy to in, interact with it. So that's, uh, I mean, that's fascinating to it. So it's a getaway, pretty much your job is making something uh, successful. I, I just like... A um, couple of questions that I do have is, uh, in, is in regard of, you know, how long is this process and what kind of uh, software do you use, even if you want to kind of simulate what it can be, uh, you know, the final solution that you think it can work for your company or for a specific company? Right. <clears throat> so um, the process could take as little as a month or two mm -hmm. uh, to maybe like six to eight months. Um, we use... I employ a tool right now called SmartLook. Um, and what it does is we put code on all of the pages of a particular website. Um, it allows us to record users actually using the website. So I can go back and watch videos of people using uh, a website. We have one web client of ours is PepsiCo Recycling. Um, PepsiCo has a huge initiative right now that they're trying to accomplish. They wanna never make a virgin bottle of plastic ever again by 2022. And, and, and Antonio, I'm, I'm totally going to interrupt you, and I apologize. We're talking like Pepsi as in the big Pepsi, Pepsi, Pepsi. the main one. Okay, Pepsi. okay, wow. Okay, so go ahead. That, that's very interesting. I just want to make sure I was, I was understanding <laughs> that right. Go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, PepsiCo, <laughs> the, the corporation. Um, yeah, um, so in any case, um, that initiative, right, that's a big, that's like, I want to go to the moon in 10 years kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, right, so they want to take all, they want to make all their bottles from recyclable plastics, right? So there's a big initiative. And we're helping them out at Group O, uh, you know, by, by doing this, right? And one of our research initiatives that we have is through this tool called SmartLook. And we're able to watch, I'm able to watch videos. Um, it can be boring at times, but, <laughs> but uh, I watch these videos. I watch users poking around. I see what they click on. I see how long it takes them to make a decision. I see them, uh, a lot of people hover with their mouse when they're thinking. Their yeah. thoughts are very tied to their mouse, right? Like what you hover over is what you're thinking about right now. You may or may not click on it, um, but it's it's very fascinating to me. Um, anyway, I synthesize that data, right? I take notes. I say like what browser they were on, um, what their display was, um, what operating system, and then I, I I synthesize all that data. And then when a project comes up where I get a chance to redesign something, um, then I use that information to fuel that those decisions. So then, Antonio, are you just constantly pulling? data for things or, or is the research or the project directing what you're researching or are you just like you just said hey I'm kind of looking at this stuff and then if something comes along that I get to redesign I already have that that data in the background do, do you understand 
Yeah, I understand what you're asking. And, and you're thinking about things from a timeline perspective, right? So yeah. what do I want to accomplish first? Uh, in an ideal world, um, I would do the research first. I would then come up with some conclusions based on the data, and then I would design the website. It almost never happens that way. Yeah. <laughs> like I've, ne I've never had that opportunity ever. Like I haven't, right? And I've been doing this for like 25 years. Um, the, the thing is, is that you jump into a project, right? You get a new job, people switch jobs, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you move into a job and there's things that are existing, ongoing things. So you're just trying to knock those out, right? You have this to-do list. Um, so you have to have, you have to, as a UX designer, you have to take a portion of your time and you have to figure out what that is. I'm going to use X amount of time to handle our ongoing projects. And then I'm going to take X amount of time to work on initiatives that are going to better serve this company um, and this, this goal, you know, of, of serving our clients. So um, I've set aside a time for um, not only, um, uh, you know, the, to get work done that I'm working on right now, you know what I mean? Like um, companies like TXU Energy and Frontier and Starbucks and uh, NICOR, they're, they're all clients of ours and we're trying to satisfy their, on, their, their current and ongoing needs. But I also want to make sure that we're doing things on the back end um, to do to satisfy the research. And like I said, some you never get to start with research at the very, very beginning. It just doesn't happen. But I, when you I, go I around that it. timeline, then you wanna you wanna be accomplishing these things together so that eventually you can catch up to what you're behind on. Yeah. I, I actually like appreciate all the work that you do and people that are in, in this area because I, if I think about like some software solution like self-checking kiosk at the airport. I remember at the beginning where they introduced them, it was so difficult to just use it. Even if you are like somebody that is uh, uh, pretty good with technology, but the, you know, thanks to the work of people like you, that becomes so easy uh, to use it. It's more like, make, you make our life easier, I would say. Uh, so <laughs> I'm appreciative of, uh, of that. And uh, also like on the research side, I, I do see like, uh, a lot of benefits on kind of try to almost generalize a certain type of characteristic that a website has to have based on the context. Is there something that you try to achieve, like try to find a generalizable solution depending on the type of company or the type of uh, service that that company is offering, or you just go, you know, case by case and then, you know, study each one of them individually? Well, I have to admit that um, we make a lot of decisions based on best practice and experience. Okay. Right. Like, um, but the, the problem with that is that uh, we all think we know what we think we know. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the day, asking the actual users who use the website is always the best, best solution. Mm -hmm. Right. But I've gone through, you know, after, you know, 20 plus years of, of, of trying to, to trying to do this, um, you know, I've figured out where's the best place to place a call of that call to action. Right. The button, the, you yeah. know, the, the thing that says purchase. Or the thing that says sign up here, um, but you know, I, I, as much as I can, I would like to not rely on it. Okay, yeah, that's that's very interesting because, uh, like for example, the information system, we have a complete uh, area or I would say methodology where it's called design science research, which the objective is actually to build artifact. And one of the things that we try to do is to abstract kind of. Uh, meta requirements of the science principles that kind of can be applied not just to a specific you know product that you're trying to develop but to all the possible you know type of product that you can build with that so 
I'm trying to apply that for uh, for uh, creating a chatbot for the college of business. So maybe I'll chat with you offline. <laughs> you give me yeah. some tips for that. Yeah, one of the things that you're going to want to put together is called a user flowchart. So how does a user get from the homepage to whatever their objective is, right? So you map that out. You say, okay, this is the homepage, and then you draw a line and an arrow to another box that says, um, you know, this is a page about this kind of thing. There may be an arrow to another page. This is about another kind of thing. And then how do they actually get to that place? Um, how do they get all the information they need? Uh, what happens when they need more information? What happens when they're ready to sign up? Uh, and then after they sign up, how do you make sure that you, um, you know, keep them, right? Like how do you communicate with them afterwards, whether it's through email or social media or whatever the, the case may be. Uh, but there's two things that I wanna point out. When it comes to research, there's two different kinds. There's qualitative and quantitative. Right, so um, you know, if we stop talking about research, I want to make sure that this point is made. Uh, qualitative is how people think and perceive things, and quantitative is numbers, right? Like Google Analytics, right? Like how many people went to this page and how many people clicked on this button. But it has to be done in conjunction with qualitative research, which is how people think, uh, what their goals are, uh, what they want to achieve, and what their motivations are. Is that saying, if, if you're looking at, at quantitative hey there's there's a, a thousand people that signed up on this app you know whatever so so obviously a thousand is a good number that means it's working but then the the um qualitative is going to be like everyone hated that app they just fought through it and it's a terrible experience but the number may be showing hey this is working but the actual experience is a whole different thing that's kind of what you're saying yeah and numbers can lie they can tell you what you want to hear <laughs> Right. Um, so you have to be careful about that. Um, you know, PepsiCo is obviously one of our biggest clients. Uh, a thousand people to them doing one thing isn't the same as a thousand people doing something that uh, they might do at like Frontier or something like that. That's really cool. From, from someone who's kind of probably stared at a lot of recordings of desktops and, and, and web pages and all that stuff, is there one? Um, behavior humans do on it that that is an indicator of, of something that you're like okay this hovering that's a really good one are there are some of those indicators that you're like ah we know when we see that something's happening positive negative is there any of those things yeah um one of the things that we did was we had a three-step process for people to um uh, report the recycling right so on pepsicorecycling.com they're able to go to a page they, they have to log in and become a recycle rally user and then they go to a page where they're going to report the recycling. They're actually going to say, we, uh, we recycled this X amount of this particular kind of recyclable. Um, and we found that people, um, the last question we asked was being ignored entirely, right? Hmm. Like, who's making the recycling? Are you the main contact? Are you a subcontact? Are you a teacher? Are you whatever? And people were just ignoring it. There's just not filling it out, right? They were just going down to that bottom button because the, the go button was at the bottom and that's all they cared about. They already went through the whole process and they just wanted to get it over and done with. So we took that question and we put it at the beginning and it increased the numbers exponentially. People started filling that, uh, filling that field out. So those are the kinds of things that, that we're trying to do on a regular basis to make the process better, to get the right information uh, so that we're making the right decisions as we move forward. Um, okay, yeah, that's that's awesome, and it, and it's something as as subtle as as where the placement of the question is, can, yeah, can or what it looks like, it. right? You know, whether or not it's a text link or a button, uh, whether or not it's red or blue, whether or not um, it's in the right spot, um, how it's worded. There's all kinds of things, so hmm. there's a lot of factors. 
is there I, sorry yeah go ahead yeah no i you know i i'm i'm fascinated by this stuff and uh, i'm fascinated by technology and you mentioned at the beginning something about you know sometimes it's boring you have to watch these videos over and over and you mentioned something about uh you know qualitative is as important as quantitative it, it gives you like the full picture of you know what you're trying to uh to be right so my question is um and i don't know if it's something your company is going that direction is did you guys um use ai in some type of ways in your job like for example uh to look at patterns into videos or maybe even just using uh emotion recognition software to get a better perspective of how the people feel about some of the uh, you know the ux that you uh, design uh or or not like just curious about this. <laughs> I, I'm sure there are companies out there that do that, uh, but those are big Fortune 500 companies, okay. right? I mean, that's with people who just uh, what do we do with this part of the budget? We got to put it somewhere, right? So yeah. we don't lose it. <laughs> those, yeah. those are the companies that do that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, most UX designers, right, <laughs> are between guerrilla uh, research and uh, doing this kind of stuff that I do. Now, I've worked for a large company before, uh, Chamberlain Group, uh, CGI. Um, they're huge garage door, they own 70% of the garage door opener market, right? Um, they sell Chamberlain to regular customers like you and I might buy a Chamberlain garage door. Um, mm -hmm. And they sell LiftMaster, which is like the business to business end of that side. So like anytime like a whole subdivision goes in and they want to put all of the same garage door openers in the whole thing, and they just want to buy pallets and pallets of garage door openers, that's LiftMaster. Um, so that was a huge corporation, right? Um, and they had a lot of money to spend. And that's why we had, uh, before I left, like 10 UX designers, which I didn't think was possible, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. um, right? So AI, uh, we'd love to use AI, right? Like everybody would love to tap into that. Yeah. Um, but that becomes, that also increases the complexity, Absolutely. right? The problem with big data is you got to know how to ask it the right questions. Um, and it's, it's, you know, you get, you know, that many people in the room trying to decide, make a big decision. And it's the same thing as two people in a room who can't, uh, they don't have a tiebreaker. Right? Mm. Wow. You have to collect a lot of data too, right? So if you're, yeah. you do a survey, you have a lot of data points and. Yeah, and you, you get into privacy concerns and you get into like, you know, uh, terms of use and all that stuff. And it, it just, it gets complex. And then you end up debating whether to do this or whether to do that with all those people in the same room. So, um, you know, I would say that AI can add a lot of benefit uh, for sure. Uh, but it's just not a reality for most uh, UX designers. Wow. Is there, so I feel like within UX there, and really with any art or really any experience, there tends to be a point where something becomes a cliche, something that, that that's part of it. Is there something out there as as a UX designer and someone who still probably uses multiple different websites and, and apps and all that stuff. Is there something that you personally are just like, I hate when I see this, like this is, this just annoys me personally. <laughs> well, I think I share this. I, I'm a user, right? I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I go online. I, I, I use apps. I, I play games. I do all, all that stuff. Um, and you know, the, the, the advertising model right now um, has done a job on everything. Um, you know, I like that. When, when I go to read an article, something. <laughs> you ever go to read an article and all these ads pop up and you're like, I'm just trying to read the article, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean, like, you know, uh, they want to know, they want you to turn your location services on. Um, they want to know if you're okay, if you accept their terms and conditions. Um, they, they have an ad 
um, that's uh, that uses like parallax, so like scrolls with you while you're scrolling down. You're like, I thought I could scroll past this, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so you know, I understand the the advertising model. It's how a lot of people are funding uh, tons of projects and businesses, uh, but it's gotten way out of control, um, and it's just not uh, it's not beneficial to the user uh, because we've just found ways to get around it. Yeah. Yeah. As a user, I think what's going to, there's a lot of things being discussed out there from a psychological perspective, from child development, from human development, all of these things that, that idea of screen time, more and more things being integrated into apps and, and having all of that stuff. Um, as someone who's thinking about that, many times are you, and I think the the project and, and the research would dictate what it is, but are you conscious of that? Is that something that you're concerned about as, as being someone who's actively a part of it and, and potentially trying to get people to, to do more on them in, in certain instances? Or is that just kind of like, hey, that's the way the world's going? Um, no, the, the world's going to turn whether we like it or not, right? So you have to pick the things that, you, that are important to you. Um, I'm glad that you asked that question the way you did, because one of the big initiatives that I'm trying to push right now, uh, not only at Grupo, but uh, in, in everything, uh, in all websites, um, has to do with accessibility, right? Mm. Making our yeah. websites more inclusive uh, to people of all abilities, not just sighted people, uh, not just, you know, able-bodied people. Um, so accessibility is a big thing right now. Um, there's another UX designer uh, at Grupo who's working with me uh, to promote this at our company. Uh, we're trying to document it. Uh, the ultimate goal not only is to make it better at Group O, uh, but to produce results that can be um, replicated uh, in not only other teams, but other companies, and hopefully, you know, on a bunch of other websites. Um, right now, the only thing moving the needle on accessibility is litigation, right? Oh. Uh, litigation is increasing exponentially every year. Um, in 2022, I think there was around 3,500 uh, companies that were sued for accessibility, um, and that's that's and they were successful. And that's one of those things where we could sit around and think that won't happen to us, but um, it's going to happen eventually. And it's not only going to happen if you're like a, a federal business, or you know what I mean. Uh, it could yeah. happen in the private sector, and that's when people are going to start waking up and realizing that um, we need to make our websites more inclusive. Antonio, you're saying that people um, people are, are actually suing individual companies just because of the inaccessibility of their website or their application. And am, am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And like I said, it's it's more on a, a more on a federal level uh, mm -hmm. um, or regulatory anything that's regulated. Um, but uh, private companies, uh, commercial businesses, uh, they're all going to be right. There's a precedent that's already been set. Right. Um, if I go to a website and I'm blind and I can't see your website, and I use a screen reader, right, mm -hmm. uh, which, which to me, I, I, can, I can either stop or start a screen reader uh, using my, my, my keypad, and it'll go from place to place on each part of the screen uh, and tell me what the navigation is, tell me what the calls to action are, read the entire website to me. The problem is, for it to work correctly, it, the code has to be set up in the, in the back, right, on the back end, right? We have to put in there um, the things that say, this is the navigation, so pay attention to this first. Uh, this is a call to action. And you can't just drop an image into a web page and not give it you know, an attribute, which is this is a, a picture of somebody using a product or this is whatever. Um, so these are things that need to be implemented. And if they're not implemented, 
um, then it's going to take them forever to navigate the website. And in some cases, uh, that could mean peril, right? Uh, you didn't get to something when you needed to get to something in time. Somebody could have, uh, you know, ended up in some circumstance that they want to be in. Um, and that's where litigation comes in. So uh, we have to make sure that we're uh, getting ahead of the jump from uh, websites that are regulated, whether it's by, you know, federal, state, you know, uh, whatever, um, all the way down to the level where now it's going to start to affect commercial enterprises. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad you brought up this this point because I think it's, uh, it's a very uh, undiscussed topic and I think it's coming also to education because more and more, you know, uh, uh, even the virtual learning environments or the, you know, the, the Moodles, the, the, the mock that we use or whatever, Blackboard, they need to uh, comply with this. And, and I think it's a big topic because, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that the, the design and the development of software back in the days was kind of like, for the mass to kind of satisfy as many people as possible, but there were lack of, uh, you know, taking in consideration like, uh, you know, a situation where, you know, some, some, some people couldn't uh, leverage the, the website that they built or the software that they built because of the way it was built, right? So yeah. I, I think that's, uh, that's great, uh, great things that you guys are working on. And uh, it's definitely something that needs to be done more uh, by, by the software companies. Yeah, and I, I think the big key here, and this will be a theme that, that we'll talk about throughout this conversation, is empathy. Yeah. Uh, we have to understand that at some point, uh, we could all lose our sight. We could um, get in a car accident and break both our arms and rely on a screen reader you know, to do the same things that we did before. Um, you know, order Instacart, order on Amazon, um, you know, uh, get information, right? Like, you know, I want to file my taxes, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, there's a... a an architect by the name of Chris Downey, um, and uh, he, uh, he said, uh, what did he say? He said, the, the, there are really only two types of people. Uh, there are those with disabilities and those who haven't found theirs yet. Think about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could hit any of us at any time. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad's blind in his left eye. Um, I'm amazed that he can drive a car and swing a golf club, right? Um, you know, I mean, uh, there are things that we just, we need to think about uh, on a more relatable level, right? Like it could happen to us. It could happen to us at any time. Um, and I think if we can do that, if we can kind of uh, get that shared empathy, I think we can make a difference. It, it yeah, no, and, and the point I was trying to make is, uh, you, you know, even, and, and I totally agree with you, is, is the fact that um, some, some things that in the past were not possible because there was not the computational power, you couldn't have that many transistors on a machine to be like easy to communicate right. as it is right now, because right now we have, sometimes conversational or other type of interfaces, right? That becomes much easier to use. I think now there is the power to do uh, something that can be accessible by everybody. So I think that's, uh, that's a really good call. And uh, yeah, I, I, I do know somebody that has troubles like, you know, speaking and it, in, in moving is his ability to move is limited. And he was asking me like, you are in the technologies, please find me some product <laughs> that can help yeah. me like, do stuff that other people can do. And I can, and I, I do truly hope that more companies go in that direction because it's extremely important, as you said, is it can happen to anybody at any point in time. So, yeah. yeah. And there's there's people that um, not only that, there's people with motion sensitivity, right? We have a lot of websites. It's 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 kind of avant garde these days to have things moving around, sliding around, fading in, fading out. Um, there are people with motion sensitivities that that affects. Um, so there's there's lots of things out there to think about. 
I think you're also kind of going on the premise that some of our our design choices, some of the software, just the the pure you know binary code is is built on a bias of what we quote unquote call normal. You know, like if it if it fits and it works for normal, and I walk around and I see people using their phones and tablets constantly, so I just automatically, with my built-in bias and my perspective, which is admittedly flawed and narrow, right. uh, you don't even think I, hey, it's working for everyone. Have a good day. Yeah, it's important also to understand software development, right? Uh, we have this thing called we call MVP, minimum viable product, right? This is the, the client asked for this kind of functionality. And how do we accomplish that with as little effort as possible, right? I know that <laughs> sounds bad. It sounds bad, but that's the business model, right? That's the reality of the world that we live in. Um, and we have to account for that, right? So while we make our clients um, a piece of software or a software interface, whatever, we have to understand that um, in addition to the things that we're trying to do uh, to meet those requirements so that that client gets what they need, uh, to get to that software interface to their customer and accomplish their goal, uh, we just have this thing in the background uh, that we should care about, right? Uh, making that accessible to everybody um, and, um, you know, making it inclusive. And, and you also have timelines and deadlines. And, and oh. so sometimes you just need to, you know, run something that, that works and so they can start using before a competitor does the same thing and kind of get more share of the market. So it's... Yeah, so it's just the constraint of the work, but yeah, just good to keep it in the back of our mind. Right, and and you know you're you're also you know you got company training, you got your own personal training. Um, you know, I mean, you're, you're trying to keep up on everything, you're trying to keep up on your timesheets, you're trying to keep up on all the meetings that you have to go to. You know, what I mean, like there's it's a lot of stuff to think about. Um, but I think UX designers, um, you know, um, they're suited for it, uh, and it's a specialized uh, thing right now. You know what I mean? I didn't think it would be this specialized, to be honest with you. Um, and I didn't know that I was doing UX in the 90s, right? Because it wasn't called UX. Um, but um, I think it's uh, an important field. And for me, empathy comes kind of naturally. So it fits me. I, I want to I jump in, and, and it's going to be a little more, uh, let's just say, lighthearted and, and with this question. So, so know that, Antonio. But is there something from, from just a user experience point of view that you would, if you could flip a switch or something like that, if there was something that you could design right now, but but might be beyond our technology, beyond our thing, but is within your imagination or, or where you're hoping to go, is there some experience you'd like to see within technology, something that that you'd like to implement, but maybe we're, we're still not there yet from, a, from an actual power or, or computer side of things yet? It's an interesting question. Um, I'm thinking specifically Minority Report. Like, I can't wait till I can Tom Cruise something in my office. Like, <laughs> uh, you're talking about a paradox now at this point. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I think that um, it, it would be interesting if you could have the same experience no matter where you are, right? So, um, you know, let's say you're you wake up in the morning, you get out of bed, check your phone. Um, your goal at the end of the day is to get a particular task accomplished. Um, and then you go downstairs and you get on your laptop and it's the same experience as your phone. And then you get into the car and you drive to work and it's the same experience as your desktop. And then you get to work, you get on your, your work computer and it's the same experience as your car. And then you get home and you, know, you've, you kind of follow this path, right? 
So um, I think we have all of these displays, right? We have mobile devices and kiosks and infotainment stacks and, you know, uh, websites. And, you know, I mean, there's all these different things. It would be awesome if um, you could build an experience from start to finish, right? Like a personal, a person's personal experience, whether it's on a smartwatch or a smart uh, mirror, right? That helps you exercise. There's all kinds of things, right? Like if you could go from one place to another, it would know who you are, where you are and what you want at that time. And it could give you the information that you need to get all your tests done in a given day. I think that would be really, really fascinating. And the reason, the only reason why I could answer your question right now is because I've worked on so many different things. Um, you know, I mean, I worked on a smartwatch, right? Like uh, LiftMaster wanted to offer Samsung a way for people to control their garage door opener from their watch, right? Um, yeah. I worked at a, a company uh, where we designed um, a kiosk for a mall. Um, you know, I've worked on tablet only apps. I've worked on, um, uh, app, you know, apps that are specifically for mobile um, and they're all over the place, right? You have Android, you have iOS, you have, um, you know, Microsoft, you have, you know, you have, um, you know, Apple uh, operating system. They're just, they're all so different. And I know we can't get them all to be the same because that would, you know, reduce, you know, um, competitiveness. Uh, but it would be nice if there was a way to connect everybody all the time to, so that, you know, everything was fairly similar and reliable and trustworthy. Could you, could you see, and, and I'm going to send like a shockwave through some of our, our listeners on this one, but could you see, I know what I'm about to ask, the, like, uh, there being like some type of an element of government regulation when it comes to, hey, apps, like something that is more standardized, could, could you see that actually happening? Or are you thinking, you know what, the companies are still going to push that, they're going to, they're going to go for individualism, they're going to go for, for their own unique products enough that no matter how far we get, they're still always going to be just a little bit off? Well, I, I really believe that no matter how much we try, they're always going to be a little bit off, right? Okay. There's, a, there's, there's an intersection between um, big business uh, and, and government, uh, right? So um, those things are always going to be competing with each other. Um, when it comes to things like, you know, healthcare, you could make the case on either direction, which one is, is better for which. But uh, when it comes to a user experience, um, it seems like it's possible, right? Mm. Um, right? Like it could happen. Um, and I don't know how it could happen, um, but I'm excited about the opportunity to be involved in it, right? Because I, you know, uh, I think uh, being able to walk through someone's entire day uh, and think about all the tasks that they would want to accomplish, all their goals, all their objectives, um, and then, you know, kind of like bring it all together. And at the end of the day, kind of get a synopsis of how your day went, right? Um, you know, what you accomplished, what you didn't accomplish, what you have to accomplish tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that would be fascinating. So, Antonio, within that one, you're, I'm hearing something that, that lines really closely with, with what Meta and Facebook and the metaverse is really trying to do. If you're saying, hey, I, I want to put one screen on everything you're doing, at some point, I, I think that leap could be made that I'm going to turn into one of the spaceship residents from Lolly and just sit in a chair all day long and have everything brought to me. Is that, is that a benefit or, or is that something even thought about as we're, as we're looking at developing these things? Yeah, so that's a great question, right? Because it all comes back to the person, right? And my job every day is to think about the people, um, not about the button, not about the form, not about the, the code, you know what I mean? Like uh, to think about the people. 
Um, if it's people centric, people first, how do we serve people? And there are people at the other end of this wire, right? That connects us. Um, that can bring everything together. Um, and it doesn't have to be the same interface necessarily. Um, I think it should be keyed in on the person, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this is a person who has certain likes and needs, uh, certain desires, uh, certain goals and objectives. Um, and if it's focused on the person, um, then I don't think it turns into a situation where we're floating on a ship forever thinking we're accomplishing something that we're actually not. <laughs> I, I, Antonio, I mean, you're raising some great point and I, I think I have to kind of stress this one because, uh, you know, sometimes people confuse IT with IS and in, in IS, a big component is the people. It's, it's like yeah. soci socio-technical product that we build. It's not just about the, the code behind. It's, it's also about how the people they're going to use it are going to use it. I, I also, if, if I'm not like, I like your perspective that you want to find something that is personalized, but at the same time kind of standardizing the user interface. And I, I think one of the closest things I've seen in terms of like very personalized user experience they are trying to do is uh, airlines. I think Delta Airlines is trying to implement, uh, uh, I mean, the, the, just the, the, the screen in the airport that when you go and look for your flight, it detects who you are and is, is just showing your flights or is just showing your flights and telling you the information in your language. And, and I think that's, that's a great, great uh, way to, to approach user interface and make it easier for people because the, you know, sometimes the information are in a different language and there is the language barrier. And if you are a traveler, you can be in a country where <laughs> you don't speak that language, but the, 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 the software recognize who you are, it put your language and they just show the information that you need and, you know, it can save and can change like your total experience inside an airport. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm excited too. And I'm glad there are people like you that really care about the people and try to make a significant change towards makes our life better uh, on a daily basis, I think. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. Antonio, the next thing within that one, and I'm so glad Biagio brought this up because it's it's always a nice segue into to some of the things that I'm thinking about within that stuff. So if I walk across, you know, an airport terminal and a screen identifies me, says, "Hey, Russ, I know you're I know you're planning on you know traveling to I don't know Italy, <laughs> yeah, Italy, or maybe you know in this certain climate, Russia, or I don't some other countries that might we might not as a American country or a government have as strong of positive relationships with, doesn't it become an issue at some point of privacy? Like, like I, I definitely want the convenience of GPS knowing how to get me to the nearest White Castle, but also I know that to get that service, Google or Apple understands that I'm going to White Castle as well. Um, is that something to be fearful of or, or should we just kind of accept that as as part of a, a new humanity and a new society that yeah you're going to be known and you know better make good choices because you know someone's always going to be watching um someone is always watching <laughs> it's, it's out there man your information's out there right yeah. what kind of car you have your driver's license it's all out there already um you know i mean you know nobody reads terms and conditions Right, we can oh, all agree on that. The three of us, yeah. we can agree that, and any of your listeners can agree. No one reads terms and conditions. Um, it's one of those things where our information is out there, and if we want to benefit from it, we have to give to get. 
Um, and it's just, it is what it is. We've accepted it. The, the reality is, is that, um, you know, if we want to do all the things that you're accomplishing, like go to Italy, right? Um, there's, 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 we have to give up some things. Um, for them, for me to go to Italy and for, uh, you know, something to translate uh, what somebody else says to, to English for me, um, I have to give up a little bit of that, right? Um, that is the way it is. Now, that doesn't to say, that isn't to say that we should, you know, give up everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, if you want to get, you have to give, uh, right? So um, I think that uh, when it comes to privacy, um, you can be mindful of your privacy, but you also have to accept the reality that um, the things that you want uh, in life, the things that you want to get um, without leaving your house, the things you want when you want to travel abroad, uh, those things are going to come at a cost. Yeah. It's like a trade-off, right? You, you yeah. setting up, you're saying, okay, this app is so beneficial for me that I know they're going to use my data. I know they're going to sell my data to third party, but it's, it's worth it. So I, I do it because I really need it. Uh, that's on the other side. If if you just install an app that is probably not useful for you, probably you want to be cognizant and say, hey, probably in this case is is not worth it, and I'll I'll just stay without it. And you know they're gonna benefit. They're not gonna benefit from my data in this case. I think yeah, that's a good uh, good way to look at it. But yeah, if I you need to come to Italy, just call me. I'll be your guide. <laughs> <laughs> so no problem. Yeah, it's, you know, you just have, you, you have to learn how to accept uh, it, right, and acknowledge it, right, that it's happening, um, and that there are some things that you may not be comfortable with that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I want to circle back when I mentioned minority report and, and being able to use hands and all that stuff. You said that, that there was a paradox within that stuff. Um, we, what do you, can you define that a little bit more? Because I'm, I'm you want me to define paradoxes. Well, not, not oh, paradox, but right. you, let you, me warm up for this one. <laughs> yeah, right. we're, we're going back to like college, we're doing theory now, <laughs> right? Like, you think about, about any movie you've ever watched that had, that had a paradox, right? Like, like, if I go back in time and I kill my grandfather, um, do I create an alternate universe where I exist still? Because even yeah. though I wasn't born yet, I'm still me. I go back to the future and I live this this other life right which mm -hmm. in theory doesn't exist yeah. right because you know yeah. um so that's what i mean by a paradox right like <laughs> yeah you know. do you do you find those in 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 design in something like hey i want to do this but i have to trade off this i'm i'm losing this one or is that something that you kind of have to have a conflict with within making decisions for that stuff or not really um okay i think the, the hardest part about um doing what i do is um you know, uh, if you want to do real research, um, you can do guerrilla research, but it only get you so far, right? So mm. one of the things that I've run into on smaller companies is getting the funding to do research, mm. right? Um, everybody's excited about research, right? Like I, I give a presentation. I gave a presentation recently um, at, at my company. Uh, there's about 50 people on on that call, um, and I said, you know, this is what research is. This is why it's important. And the person who spoke before me talked about accessibility. So we have a specific test about this and we want to get it done. Um, it's just hard to, to find the funding for it, right? Uh, so I want to get done what I want to get done and I know the right way to do it. Um, I just need to, to find a way to, to actually, you know, get the funding. It's unfortunate, but it is the way the world works uh, and it's a part of it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, R&D is always like what is company I struggle to find the funds to go there and allocate that. Unless, as you said, you are a big company, you just 
throw dollars and stuff and uh, you, you make it work. But um, I have another like kind of like uh, question that maybe our audience uh, will appreciate is, uh, is about like group O, so your company. Uh, I would like to know like what, what the names stand for. And also like, uh, what are the, if you have to hire somebody, what are the characteristics that a student needs to have to work for that company or what you are looking for on somebody that potentially can uh, join your company? So Group O uh, is named the way it is. Uh, the O stands for Antaveros. Uh, Greg Antaveros is the owner of the company. Um, uh, he's a, a small business, you would say, or medium-sized business uh, you know, owner. Um, and he takes a lot of pride uh, in being a Latino business owner. Um, so he, um, it's not that he has a mandate, like certain people have to be hired or anything like that. It's just that we wanna make sure that we're inclusive. Right. Um, this is one of the things about the company that I'm that I'm proud of. Um, you know, Acevedo in it of itself uh, is you know, the, the name originates in Mexico. Right. Um, my grandpa changed the name from AC to AS. There's probably some people out there who are going to read my name and be like, "Why is that AS?" Um, but uh, but he changed it right so he could sound slightly different, so he could get a job. Whatever. Uh, thank God for him. Right. <laughs> he crossed the border and he made it happen. He went all the way from Texas and ended up in Michigan. Uh, which oh. is crazy. That's a, quite a trek, you know, yeah. uh, but that's, you know, that's where my family comes from, you know, a portion of it anyway. But um, the, the company Grupo, um, you know, they have four main pillars, um, but I'll let other people uh, go check all that stuff out. I couldn't possibly explain the entire company right now, but the division that I work for um, is the IT marketing division. Um, and, um, you know, uh, you know, I was drawn to uh, this company. Um, you know, I work remote. Um, it's these days that, you know, I know it's, it feels avant-garde these days, but, um, that's my regular job, right? Um, I've been, I've worked at, at the company for the bulk of my life. Um, uh, but now, uh, it's apparent that I can do what I can do there from a distance. Yeah. Uh, so, um, everything that I did there, I can do electronically there. I can do electronically from here. I can send it to you. Um, at the end of the day, uh, developers are the people who write the code. Um, so, um, you know, everything's taken care of. But like I said, Grupo is, is, is a good company. Um, they, uh, they're in a, a city called Milan, which is in the Quad Cities. It's not one of the Quad Cities, but, um, but they have a, a, a foothold there. Um, they have a great client base. Uh, they have small clients, the big clients, just like PepsiCo. Yeah. With, within that stuff, is there something that you've, you've designed or been a part of that, that you kind of hang your hat on? You kind of like look back and are like, yeah, that was, that was something that was something cool or I was, I was happy with that or is it all just like, hey, I, I changed the color from blue to red and it worked. So great job. <laughs> um, it's hard to realize, right? Like at the end of the day, uh, okay. because I've worked on a lot of teams, right? So like, yeah, I'm proud of a lot of things that I've done, right? Um, you know, but um, at the end of the day, um, I, it's, a sh it's a shared experience, right? Um, I work with developers. I work with uh, business analysts. I work with project managers and project owners. I work with all different kinds of people. Um, and, you know, at, I think for me, I get a bigger kick out of uh, knowing that um, we did it because we were in it together. Right. Um, so, that's... you know, anytime I see my stuff in the wild, uh, I'm happy about it. But I always hark back to how it happened. Right. It happened because not just because I did everything. Right. I never do everything. I'm, I'm a part of the process and I'm proud of it. Yeah. As we're looking at this stuff, I'm always conscious of how how 
humans are being are, are adjusting and, and adapting within all of that stuff and I, and I think technology as it's been since the essence of our existence technology has also changed that stuff but and it might be you know a little I don't know nihilistic but I, I feel like this technology the stuff we're working with now we're on the verge of, of it truly changing the way we live like from an integral part of who we are do you do you see that is that something there or is it all just going to be um google glass that doesn't take off anywhere because people start getting freaked out and it, or or is it just like that was too early for its time are, are we is that something fair to say that we're, we're going to be adapting to the technology as much as the technology is having to adapt to us um i don't know if we're at a place where technology is adapting to us yet uh, I think we'll get there. Um, there's some AI stuff that's going to happen in the future um, and some technologies that are going to uh, uh, pop up. Uh, but no, I think um, we're, we have to understand that uh, change is constant, right? Hmm. Um, it's going to keep going. Um, you know, I, you know, if you get on social media, you'll see um, uh, posts like, um, uh, it wasn't like this when I was a kid. I, that's been said over and over and over since our existence. Yeah right? It's going to change. Um, and the people um, that are going to benefit from that, that change are the people who accept it, right? Hmm. It's going to change. Um, life is that way. Um, you know, uh, my, my son is 12 years old, and I, I think about some of the things that he says, and I'm like, uh, I, I, I don't understand how he just said that. And then I think <laughs> back, maybe I said something like that to my dad, right? It's, it's entirely possible. Um, and there have been some times where I'm like, you know what? I said that to my dad. <laughs> so uh, it's one of those things, right? Like uh, some things are going to stay the same, uh, uh, but the bulk of things are going to change. That's for sure. And we have to be okay with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, circling back to Biagio's question with, with like uh, kind of people preparing for all of this stuff and, and those things. Uh, if, if we were to kind of switch this to a, uh, uh, an interview, and, and I'm, I'm sure in your experience, you've interviewed some people to come on, uh, work on teams and all of that stuff. If you were to say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna look for kind of a, a perfect UX designer, the the like prototypical, this is a superhero UX designer, what would some of those attributes or, or, or elements you would really want someone to have? So maybe some of our listeners could say, ah, like I, I didn't even know this existed, but I think I'm creative. I think I have all the tech side of things. What are the, those kind of attributes that you would really say this is going to help advance you further in it? Um, I think the desire to do uh, the research necessary um, and not just know like the buzzwords, but also um, be able to, um, you know, articulate the process, right? Like um, I, I want them to know that when they get something on their desk, um, what are they going to do with, do with it? Um, who are they going to talk to? Uh, what's their their process in terms of uh, you know critical thinking? You know, um, is you know what systems have you used? Right? Um, you know, have you have you had experience with uh, responsive design? Um, you know, are you um, are you willing to learn new things? Right? Um, you know, constantly growing and learning new things is is is, is huge. Um, that's why companies spend so much money on on you know on training. Um, and then you know you know are you dedicated to your craft? Right? Um, you know, what have you done, um, you know, in terms of, you know, have you uh, 
done a little bit of development, right? That's always good, right? Like, do, can you talk to developers, right? Um, have you worked with a lot of um, upper management? You know, do you know how to uh, change your narrative uh, so that you can speak to the people in the in the room who are concerned about money? Um, you know, uh, all these things that you know, it's it's all this well-roundedness, right? Because UX right now is still kind of niche. Um, is still kind of small, right? So you have to be kind of all things to all people. Uh, you have to be able to work with um, um, the people in the company, you know, all the way from the bottom to the top. Um, you have to be able to make uh, big requests uh, and you have to be able to be um, uh, a people person, right? Like um, I make sure that um, when someone does something for me, I, I, I not only say, say thank you, but I'm looking forward to working with you in the future uh, for mm -hmm. anything that, that you might need. Right. Um, so you build those relationships. Uh, so it's important that, you know, not only do you know the craft, not only do you have the experience, uh, not only are you uh, humble uh, and empathetic, but um, are you willing to learn um, and are you willing to um, communicate with all the various people that you're going to have to talk to? Because it's a lot of people. And, and a follow up question uh, related to this is because, you know, we, we are an information system. So uh, my first semester, I was teaching a system analysis and design class and I was doing with my student, you know, the flow chart you were talking about before. I was showing them that they need to mock up and, and try, you know, some of those software that allows you to, to do the navigation, for example, to a website and resources like that from from our point of view, what can we teach to our students that you see that they, when they come and join a company like yours or when you were joined that works for you had struggle at doing it because you've never been taught how to do some of those stuff. What can we do better uh, to, to make people more prepared for you know, doing a profession like yours? Yeah, it's a great question because um, as a parent, I see the similarities between uh, working with an intern. I've worked with interns in the past before and it's interesting, like the very first time you show somebody how to do something, it's important that there's no criticism at all, right? They need to try it and learn from their mistakes, right? Um, and then because that second time that they go to do it, um, you don't want to rob them of that confidence, right? Yeah. So it's really important uh, when you start somebody out new um, that you allow them to make mistakes. It's okay, right? Like you're there to guide them, put them back on the rails if you need to. Um, but you really want them to um, do it and get used to doing it over and over and over again, and then eventually become comfortable doing it a different way over and over and over again, and then learning over and over and over again. You have to layer these things on top of each other um, so that you can build your confidence. You know, the biggest catchphrase that I've heard um, when I've ever looked for a job was fake it till you make it, right? Mm -hmm. Right? You know, pretend you know what you're doing over and over and over again until eventually you actually know what you're doing. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to getting people on board, um, I, and I would say this to all the people out there who are interested in UX design, um, Udemy offers classes at dirt cheap. It's like 10 bucks, 15 bucks a class. Go in there, uh, take some classes. Uh, there's Google UX classes you can take, right? You can go and you can get a Google certification. I took um, one path and I got the first certificate. And I was like, yeah, I accomplished that. And then I realized they had six more. <laughs> and it took me a month to do that other one, right? So I was like, oh, it's daunting. But you know what? At least I have a place I can go to to learn more and more and more. Um, so I think it's important uh, to anybody who's interested in UX design uh, just to get started. Reach out to people you know. Uh, go to Udemy. Uh, go to Google. There's places where you can learn lots of stuff. And I don't mean like google.com. I mean, like Google has courses you can take. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then don't be afraid if you make a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes, right? Whether you're going to be, you know, a bricklayer or a police officer or whatever, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, but keep at it, right? Like, you know, be passionate about it and be okay with it. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to make mistakes. The, I make mistakes all the time still. And I've been doing this for a long, long time. And you know what? I learn more from my mistakes than I do from my successes at this point. So um, anybody who wants to know about UX design, there's lots of places you can go. That's I, I think the message for us, I think the message for us is, you know, let the student learn by doing, which is, is something that I, I truly believe in. I teach mainly coding classes as of right now, but I, that's, that's a big component. Let them do it because they might, you know, follow along with you, but then when they, it's their time to do it or they are at home, then they, they are not sure. And, um, and I think, yeah, it's a, it's a good message to have to all our professors that teach that type of classes, let them practice and let them do it. And as you said, don't, don't be and say, hey, oh, this is the worst design I've ever seen <laughs> and discourage them because <laughs> you know, it's, it's a process, it's a journey. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Antonio. Thank you. Um, Antonio, I got one, one last question and, and this one might feel free to like completely skirt it and we'll just kind of fade <laughs> off into the darkness. Uh, but is there, is there a, a a UX or an experience that you've had that that kind of like impressed you, blew you away, like one that you're like, wow, that was that was cool. That was that was something that I, I wish, you know, or, or taking away from, or is it pretty much like you you kind of see behind the curtain, you know the magic. So it, it it really doesn't, you know, ever surprise you, I guess. No, um I this is gonna be this sounds silly. This maybe this is a bad example in this. You know, <laughs> go for whatever. it, go for it. We love it. Dollar Shade Club. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I don't know how they did it, but they nailed every facet of the user experience. Every facet. They just did, right? Right? I get my razors in the mail. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, if I lose the handle, they, they, they send me a new handle. They got all the other products to come along with it. I'm like, I'm for it, <laughs> right? They answer my questions. I can navigate their website. I know how to accomplish everything I need to accomplish. I can put things on pause. I can order more. I can, there's all kinds of stuff, and it comes quickly. And it's just, I don't even know how to explain it. They just nailed every asset of user experience, every asset. Antonio, this is this is perfect. Uh, the Gateway is officially uh, sponsored by Dollar Shave Club. <laughs> Feel free to check that out now. Um, truly, Antonio, this has been uh, this has been a great conversation, and I really do want to thank you for for sharing your experience with us and and our listeners. Um, it, truly, I, I'm incredibly grateful. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time. Of course, of course. Just, just to close this, Antonio, like to be honest, I might come to you and get some tips on user experience or chatbot. But if you need user, you know, tips to go to Italy, I'm always available. So th- thank you. Yeah, for and I'm not far from NIU. So, you know what I mean? If there's a right. way I can help out there, let me know, you know? Yeah. Perfect, perfect. And and for all of our listeners, thank you for tuning into the Gateway. Of course, we are brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Uh, please make sure to subscribe to the Gateway on Spotify or YouTube, really anywhere you find your, your podcasts. Uh, that way, when you subscribe, you'll be let know of any new episodes and all of that stuff. We also truly appreciate any five-star ratings that we get. Um, I know everyone says that stuff, but it really does matter, and it allows us to keep producing Uh, kind of content like this stuff. So if you like it, subscribe, give us five stars, and then you'll keep hearing wonderful guests like Antonio today. And I I want again, thank everyone for coming and listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. Bye.